0: This is the Icebreaker podcast from Ho Chi Minh City. I'm your host, Samira Kabour. I have lived in Vietnam for the last eight years, still exploring non-stop the creativity within the technology space and development in different areas. We're here to share it with you on a weekly basis with the most interesting people doing awesome work in fast-paced Southeast Asia and Vietnam. From domain experts in cloud computing, DevOps, data analytics, AI, and machine learning to the creators of your favorite tools and platform, we want to introduce you to the most interesting people. This is the Icebreaker podcast. Today, I'm excited to be here for our first episode recording of the Icebreaker podcast with Tony Do. We've got the chance to meet a couple of times here around in the industry to let you know more about Tony. He is a serial tech entrepreneur and data scientist, founder and CEO of Palexi, an AI solution for smart retail. Prior to building Palexi, he was the co-founder of Arimo, a big data company that offers data science as a service for enterprise. Arimo was recently acquired by Panasonic U.S and ranked as one of the top 10 most innovative tech startups in Big Data and AI. Tony. Can you introduce a little bit about yourself, your background, and the reason why you are here in Vietnam?
1: Thank you, Samira, for having me today. Um, hello, everyone. I am Tony, co founder and CEO of Palaxy, an artificial intelligence and computer vision technology company that provides actionable data to help improve the performance of bricks and mortar retailers. So, before founding Palaxy, I co founded Karimo a big data company's headquartered in the U.S. with an R&D office in Ho Chi Minh City uh, that offer sense as a service for enterprise clients in the U.S. Our venture managed to raise over 13 million U.S. dollars uh, from top venture capitalists, including Anderson Horowitz, and um, eventually we sold it to Panasonic corporations. Before offering Arimo. I did a PhD uh, in electrical engineering at Johns Hopkins University. Um, So when building Arimo, we ran into a problem, which I believe a common problem for all tech startups, which is how to recruit and cultivate uh, talent effectively because of the uh, increasingly tough competition in the US, uh, especially in Silicon Valley. So I decided to um, grow an engineering team in Vietnam instead. Vietnam actually has an untapped pool of high-quality engineering talents and probably the best in South Asia. That's how I ended up in Vietnam and I have remained there since then.
0: Wow, that's very interesting and I really like the the comparison you are doing with uh, Silicon Valley talent and Vietnam talent. Today, you are currently the, the founder and CEO of Palexi. Could you let us know a little bit more about Palexi?
1: In a nutshell, Palexi aims to empower retailers to digitize the install experience and optimize the operational efficiency using artificial intelligence and computer vision technologies. If you are an owner of an e commerce company, you can log in and see all kinds of data points. For example, the number of visitors per hour, per day, per week, et cetera. Uh, the timing, the duration of their visits, the keywords that leads them to the website, right? So on and so forth. But if you, are, if you, are, you run an offline store, let's say a close, uh, retail shop, right? Mm-hmm. All you have at the end of the week is a point of sale data. This is where Galaxy comes in handy because it can provide e commerce like um, actionable data to help offline retailers improve performance. So, we have deployed our solution to tens of uh, medium and large retailers in Vietnam and Japan. And last, last year, we also got 1 million um, funding from uh, Do Ventures and Access Ventures to expand the business globally.
0: Oh, that, that's amazing. Congratulations for your funding, that, that's huge, that's amazing. And it's very interesting when you mention about, I never thought about it, about this unfair advantage that uh, e-commerce are having on uh, versus the retail. That means they have access to this uh, data, actionable data and all these data analytic tools online. And when you are like a brick and mortar basic retail, basically you don't have access to this kind of data. The only thing you know right is how much you sell or you don't sell. And that you are filling this gap and bringing up these uh, retails to the same level of data, access to data than to online. That's very interesting. So uh, I have understand that you're having like not one, not two, not three, but like four or five patents. That's, that's huge, that's really amazing. Could you tell me a little bit more about those patterns, what technology is it, and the story behind?
1: So I got several patterns related to video processing, uh, computer vision, and AI technology when I did my PhD and when I worked in the US. Um, they are all about how to make smarter system to process video and um, detect objects more efficiently using less uh, computing power. So those patterns create a solid foundation for us to build a broad application from AI and computer vision technologies.
0: That, that's amazing. So those are your patents, and you developed them when you were still doing a PhD? Yes. That's really amazing because, you know, when you do a PhD, you are basically still a student, right? You are writing a thesis and at some point you were doing having patents that's that's unbelievable right it's it's very impressive i must say so uh, just coming back about uh, here in vietnam uh, currently you know the retail stores and the shopping malls in vietnam is continuously growing and booming uh, since like the past 5 10 years and uh, catering to this very growing middle class right in general How is the state of the customer uh, store experience in Vietnam today and uh, what to expect in the coming 5-10 years?
1: Well, over the last decades, I think retail has been shifting from selling products and distribution to focusing on customers. People refer to this new trend as new retail, a more customer-centric retail uh, era. So when people go to the store for shopping, they might not have any specific need to purchase. And and instead, they often want to experience a new product or new service, and sometimes simply treat it as an entertainment activity. And hence, improving customer experience become more and more important to drive the customer purchase decisions, right? Because e-commerce can track and capture almost everything um, that online customers do. Optimizing the customer digital experience has been easy, straightforward, and there are abundant solutions out there in the market. However, measuring customer install experience is still a relatively underdeveloped field because the technology that can track and measure the install experience is not fully mature. Despite the vast growth of retail stores and shopping more in Vietnam over the past years, I think the customer experience, the customer store experience is still suboptimal in many retail places. It's simple, you cannot optimize what you don't measure, right? right? But matters have been improving through those quite slowly because retailer understand that if they don't have focus on improving the customer in-store experience, people would simply stop going to stores because they can buy online instead, right? So far, China has been leading the new retail revolutions. So over the next five to 10 years, I expect we're gonna see the similar trend happens in Vietnam in the form of prevailing um, you know, omni-channel retail, right? And people would stop talking about online versus offline retail because they would become one. So customer would enjoy a much better shopping experience because AI technology solution like Start Optimizer that we are developing at Plexi. It will have merge um, the online offline data into one powerful stream. Wow, well, that, that's really
0: impressive. So. Basically, uh, today we have online and we have offline, and there is like this big gap to different uh, kind of experience, right? And let's say in the coming five, 10 years with technologies involving AI and computer vision, it's gonna merge and it's gonna be like a one experience and for people like us, buyers, we are not gonna make a difference by being on the shop or being online, it's gonna be like a whole, one story, right? That's correct. We, we, we're just now talking about uh, yeah about what's going to happen in the next 5-10 years and this kind of new retail revolution uh, that is like basically in 10 years, it, it's tomorrow, right? But today, you know, with the COVID-19 impact, it's like quite impact even in Vietnam. We are very lucky to be in a very good situation and shape. It still impacts the physical retail industry, right? and. Uh, do you think technology can can play a role here or can do something to support the, the retail to survive and to keep growing?
1: Yep. You know what? Before COVID-19, retailers often uh, prioritize growth over everything else, right? Many of them were, were willing to subsidize, right, uh, to go faster. However, during COVID-19, they have changed their grow at all cost mentality, right? They now actually prioritize sustainable growth and pay more attention to maintain a healthy profit. And as as a result, the operational efficiency become one of their top priorities. During COVID-19, the traffic to store dropped quite substantially, right? Because some customers were afraid of getting infected or simply uh, they were in a saving mode due to the uncertainty of the pandemic. Yes. Um, when getting more traffic to store, is more difficult, right? Uh, the operational team needs to optimize the layout and, you know, uh, provide better sales consulting service to increase the conversion rate, right? And um, to convince people to buy more. And, uh, for example, uh, Vunep, um a leading retailer in Matches in a bad accessory, uh, deploy our solution, and um, to find out the hot zone of X store, and then they rearrange the higher margin product to the hot zone, and by doing that, they actually managed to boost the profit per item at twenty percent.
0: In my understanding, uh, we having now a kind of a big challenge in the retail right, and technology can play a role basically. Okay, the traffic is less but we can increase the conversion and we can optimize and even increase our profit with the right uh, technology in place. So here here in Vietnam, do the retail, they, they, understand, they understand this? Like you just give me a name, uh, name, right? So they are like the leader in mattress uh, retail and production, right? So they are like, uh, is the market here other example in other industries that are understanding that, yes, this is difficult, challenging time, but we should invest in technology?
1: Yes, actually, they are, uh, they are early adopters, right? Okay. For any new technology solution, okay. they are always early adopter group, and name is on a, you know, one of a, the, early yeah, the, the early adopters are clients. That's interesting. And, and also, there are other clients in other particular, like in uh, uh, jewelry, like B and J, right? Okay. One of the, our biggest clients, in uh, for Guardian, uh, for, for the beauty and personal care. Guardian Vietnam is also another client oh, oh, who actually adopt this technology solution to optimize the uh, operational efficiency.
0: Okay, so at the end, uh, the, the the challenge of the COVID uh, bring uh, is a shifting and bringing more early adopters to this kind of technologies earlier than maybe what it should be, maybe in the trend, right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think the COVID nineteen actually accelerate and uh, the trend, okay. and actually. Uh, before people uh, focused on focused on the grow right and now people realize that uh grow is not enough and uh, profit may be actually more important uh, d- during the, the difficult time so people focus uh, start focusing on uh, profit maintain profit good profit uh, versus uh, just growth okay that's that's really
0: interesting so Let's talk a little bit about uh, about your, the way your leadership and how you, you manage. Uh, We've we'll met a, a few times and looking at your team, uh, you you have a super highly qualified expert team. And uh, at the same time, you are also quite kind of a lean team, right? So how, how does it work between you and the team? Uh, are you more like a flat collaboration or more like managing by expertise? Or, and how do you recruit and how do you select your team?
1: Well, if there's one thing I'm really good at, it must be getting talented team. So talented people are always ambitious, right? And um, the more challenging the job, the more excited and committed they will become. So my main duty is to coming up with a bold enough vision and challenging enough problems. And then I recruit the best talent to solve them, right? So my hiring philosophies from day one is always to get people with three traits, intelligence, energy, and integrity, and let them be the owner of whatever they do best and most passionate about. Uh, So high autonomy and strong ownership are the spirit of our management culture.
0: Okay. Maybe I fit those values, right? Can I, can I apply? <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> no, no. Talking about more about your, your background, that's very interesting to me, personally. Uh, you have a solid scientist uh, background with a PhD, and you are also an entrepreneur, right? And you managed successfully to exist in the US as you co-founded Aremo, which was acquired by Panasonic, which is like a very amazing success stories and very inspiring for all entrepreneurs. Uh, A dream story, I would say. So what are the the characteristics and the strengths that having a scientist background gave you? And like being a PhD and uh, having this background, did it help you in your current uh, enterprise?
1: Well, when I did my PhD, it took me more than five years to tackle one problem completely. So being a scientist gives me the, uh, the patience to navigate, navigate through the complex nature of building innovative products and especially finding market fit. Right? Uh, being goal-driven uh, give me the resilience to focus, to stay focused uh, with all the up and down when you're growing any tech startup, you know? So PhD training also helped me not to look at things on the surface. Actually, I always encourage my team members to look deep into the problems, any problems and try to understand not just the how, but also the what and the why.
0: Okay. That's definitely a a great way to to think. Uh, By the way, Now that you know you are really into the business and the application of all those patents and technology to fit the market, don't don't you miss a little bit this mindset of doing research for research without any goal to apply to the, without thinking about the market, but just like pure research? Do do you miss it? Uh,
1: Well, I think um, there's a, a lot of overlapping. Um, well, they are different, right? Doing a pure research versus and uh, developing the application and the product. But I think there's also um, there's all overlapping in terms of you identify the problem and you figure out the solutions. It's sort of the like the it's research, big research projects, but I think much more com- complicated when you have to navigate through the, the demand, you have to <laughs> view the products and meet the customer what they want. Um, so yes, it's open problem. Um, so I think, um, I, I personally can actually reuse a lot of my research skill uh, to identify the problem and to find a solution and and work my team through the process efficiently.
0: Okay, so basically you are still a scientist every day. You are still a, you are still doing your research and uh, fitting for for the demand of the market and supporting the team. So there
1: is still this scientist spirit together with the with the entrepreneur, right? It's kind of like right? before when I when I was a PhD candidate. So I, I I'm given I was given a problem to solve, right? Okay. Now actually the difference is that I have to go out and, and find a problem that worth solving. That's
0: more difficult, right? right? I <laughs> think that's a
1: most difficult different part. Once I identify the problem, then the process of figuring out the solution is pretty much the same. Okay, and
0: finding the problem is like you are you are responsible to finding the problem. That's right. I think ownership of this. there is a pain, there is a problem and I'm going to go for it and solve it.
1: That's right.
0: We are like coming close to, to the end of our discussion. Uh, I'd love uh, to, to have uh, from you uh, a lesson, like uh, uh, a lesson. You know, most of the lessons come from failure. Right. So would you mind open to us like any failure you had experienced and what did you learn from it?
1: Sure. I think building startup is a, a series of try and error, right? So uh, by nature, there's a lot of mistakes we have to make along the sure. journey. Um, one of the most, I think, serious problems that uh, I, I met uh, is a premature scaling uh, before achieving a product market fit. Um, it actually is a, a deadly mistake uh, that we used to make, uh, so it's when we thought we had achieved the product market fit
0: okay. and hence
1: we uh, expanded the team um, and burned the cash substantially. All right. um, however, because of the product market fit misfit, uh, the market was not ready to adopt our product at scale. So why we burned the cash uh, much faster, we wasn't able to achieve the business development milestone as we expected. Um, so later I, I, when I did the research and I figured out that this is a very common mistake um, among the tech startup community. Um, the lesson I learned uh, is that we have to spend frugally and cautiously uh, during the phase of fighting product market fit. You uh, actually should keep your spending at minimum okay. uh, to uh, reserve the cash, as uh, much cash as you, if you can during this phase, right? And make sure to uh, not to scale the business until you actually find a true product market fit. Um, And for any startup, cash is key. Uh, So if if you still have cash in the bank account, you always have a second chance to survive and then grow. Well, that's
0: actually, that's a very, very interesting uh, lesson and experience and i think it's a huge challenge for any uh, entrepreneur tech entrepreneur how to be a uh, product market market fit by the way could you explain a little bit by like uh, what do you mean by product market misfit like it means you have you there is a pain there is a, a product answer the pain but the demand
1: is not ready or what what's going on exactly so yeah so so product market fit is i think one of the very difficult thing um, that any entrepreneur has to solve okay. um so basically a product is built to solve a pain a customer pain
0: yes but
1: some some customer pain is not worth serving and people are not ready to pay because the pain is not substantial or sometimes it's because you were too early in the market right? and you have to educate customers, but then you don't have enough resources okay. for the education and you run out of money for people um, understanding. That, right? That's
0: actually really interesting, but I think this is so challenging to understand that, oh yes, the pain is here and the customer is ready to, to pay for that solution at that time,
1: this but,
0: timing story, right?
1: That's right, it's all about timing, also it's rather like uh, the uh, the problem you pick to solve, right? Okay. Um, you, you, you never know, alright? Some problem might look like actually a good problem to solve, but it like might t- end t- t- up. T-
0: t- you mean or business or pain?
1: Well the pain, the pain one is that maybe just a few customers actually uh, have that pain. Okay. So you don't, you don't have a, a big enough market size, okay. right? Yeah. Or like what I said before, um, most of the problem are not worth solving, because okay. people that's are not good. painful enough to pay for you to, to to have your solutions. All right. okay.
0: that that's a very good uh, comment. Most of the problem are not worth solving. <laughs> I like this one. <laughs> okay, so actually it's very interesting. Also, uh, what you are mentioning about the cash flow, yes, cash flow is king. And at the end of at the end of the day. Um, we look at our cash flow to measure our our business and our health, right? Uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know actually what position about this, but absolutely agree with you. Cash is king for startup and I think for any companies. Thank you so much Tony for your time today. It was a really interesting conversation and I believe our listeners gonna be really enjoying it, learning from you and your experience.
1: Thank you for having me today.